1 Corinthians 12, 12 begins, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now... God has placed the members, each of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, (coughs) the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father. For all the gifts that you have given, it comes to mind so easily. We thank you for the gift of music, for the gift of the choir, and how they have led us to you this day. We thank you for all the other gifts that may not be as visible. We know you have placed each one according to your desire, to your master plan. And we pray, Father, according to your holy word, that there may be no division, but rather that we grow closer together, and although we are many, we raise one voice to praise and worship you. The truth is, Father, that we struggle with this. So, Lord, in this hour, by the power of your Spirit, draw close to us and be our teacher. We love you, and we pray these things for your sake, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have been a student of the Bible or a student of history, you probably know that um, Corinth was a troubled church. The Apostle Paul spent more time in Corinth than any other church, any other location that we're aware of. He wrote more letters to the Corinthians that we know of anyway than any other church. And even so, Corinth was a troubled place. The problem that Paul addresses in this passage begins in chapter 12 and goes on for three chapters. And if the squeaky wheel gets the oil, we understand that this was probably a pretty significant problem in the city and the church 
Corinth. The problem seems to be over the use, the understanding of spiritual gifts. And you may know that the Corinthians became divided over the issue of spiritual gifts, considering some more important than others. And so within the church, there became kind of a hierarchy, kind of a, a pecking order, so to speak. In other words, my gifts are more important, more valuable than yours, and so I am more important than some others in the church. And even although this was 2,000 years ago, the very idea that we would consider that chafes. It irritates us that some would elevate themselves over others because we understand that all are necessary. The passage we read today begins, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, all of the members of the body, though they are many, are but one, so also in Christ. Many members, one body united in the Spirit. And so if there was one in the church of Corinth or here today that had the gift of speaking in tongues, then Paul would say, then make sure that there's someone else that has the gift of translation. Because if you're speaking in tongues and no one can understand, what good is that for the body? All that does is elevate that individual. It shines the spotlight on that person as opposed to glorifying God and building up his church. If you have a gift of prophecy, that's fine. Or teaching, or preaching, or administration, or, or music. We might ask, which one is more important? But then again, we know from our study of the scriptures that that probably is the wrong question. All people, all gifts are important, are necessary to the church. All gifts fit together, complement each other. All gifts are gifts, we remember. It's nothing that you earned. There's nothing that you deserved. I, I love to hear Kenny sing. I love to hear the choir sing, but it's nothing we earn. It's nothing that we deserve. God gave us that gift so that we might build up his kingdom. And so the idea is that in Corinth, in this church today, that we should not get puffed up. I'm so thankful. I have been to churches. I've been to Christian concerts sometimes where, you know, you can just feel the, the spirit kind of leaving the room because there's someone singing up there and you can just kind of sense that it's for their own glory. And I've never, ever experienced this in this church. And so it should be. All gifts are for the glory of God. And we are to be united in our gifts with no division so that, and I, I love this, we know this to be true. If one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, then all members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individual members of it. And so we see that the plan is university, uni, unity in great diversity. I say it again, unity in diversity. And we have a sense that this is true. We believe in our minds as we read the scriptures. But the problem is that sometimes, like the Corinthians, we can get a little tangled up as well. It may seem a little harsh. It may seem a difficult thing to say. But here it is. It seems to be human nature. When I was a in the army, I was an officer. I was commissioned as a second lieutenant. I was a leader. I was a planner. And, and I thought that that was pretty important, you know. 
And so you kind of walk around with a little bit of pride. And that was until I met my first platoon sergeant. And he made it very clear that enlisted men were the backbone of the army. And, and if I wanted to, I could go stand right over there and watch as long as I didn't get in the way. Thank you very much. Those that can work with their hands, those that can fix things, they, they kind of look down upon those who, who uh, sit in offices and, and maybe their hands are soft. And, and those that are at the top of the, of, of the skyscrapers, they act like workers and are invisible and expendable. As Joseph Campbell once wrote, we are always the hero of our own story. And sometimes that attitude sneaks even into the church. The attitude could be that my gift is what really keeps this church together. And without it, it would fall apart. Or, or the way that I want to worship is the best way. It's the only way to worship. As opposed to the idea that I think we see in the scriptures that we should have great unity in our diversity. Now to illustrate this this morning, I'm going to show you Two responses from the Minister of Music survey that many of you submitted. There are two responses with regard to a, a single worship service on the 5th of February. And before I show you these two responses to the, to the same worship event, I'm going to ask you to do something that is very, very hard and some of you might even think impossible. When I show you these two responses, what I want you to do, although it's hard, is I want you not to pick a side. Just look at the responses without choosing which is better. It may help to remember that those who submitted this survey are lifelong Christians, likely longtime lifeline members of this church. In short, these are your brothers and sisters essential parts of the body of Christ, as Paul says? And again, I'm going to try to show you these responses and ask you to not pick a side. Go ahead. February 5th was one of the most uplifting services we have had. February 5th, no spirit, worst service I ever heard. I did not worship at all. How are you doing with not picking a side? It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. These responses came from a brother or a sister, I'm not sure who, but they were Christians, they were passionate about their faith, they attended the same worship service and experienced something completely different. How do you process that? What do we do with that as a church? A little over two weeks ago, the personnel committee got together and uh, we gathered all of the responses. We read them, each one we read them. I've read each one of them three or four times since then. And although we you know, went around the, the table, we compiled all of the results, and although there was a clear majority of people that have a unified idea about the, the future of mu uh, music ministry and worship here at this church, there were others who had different and passionate ideas. The more we compiled, the more anxious I got. 
And the thought began as I walked around that table, as we compiled them, was how in the world can we move forward with such diversity? I had a hard time that night. I had a hard time. I went home and I couldn't really talk to Sandy. I laid down and went to sleep, or I tried to go to sleep, but couldn't. I, I just laid there and tossed and turned. How in the world can we move forward? Until, after hours of that, a book came to my mind that I read some 20 years ago by a woman named Corrine Ware. And Miss Ware's premise is that every congregation, all congregations, there are basically four type of worship personalities. Now, the first one you might call emotional, or it's all about the heart. This is someone that wants to feel the presence of the Lord. And they do that best by hearing testimonies or by wonderful music, by uh, raising holy hands. In, in your surveys, so many of you wrote words like energy and passion and, and enthusiasm. How would one of these people, one of these heart people, one of these emotional, how would they pray? Well, they would never write a prayer out. In fact, they would be suspicious of anyone that would write a prayer out in advance because it's all about passion and spontaneity and energy. Don't raise your hands, but does this describe you? A second group would be called perhaps the intellectuals. It's about head knowledge. They, you know, they will tolerate music, but just make sure the preacher has 30 minutes to preach. That was in your surveys as well. They draw close to God by the study of his word. They, they, they might well write out a prayer. They would, in fact, consider it a gift to be able to sit and write out a prayer. They want to think about every word to make sure it's poetic, that it's, pro, that it's uh, theologically profound. And, and they might even weep as they experience the Spirit writing out that prayer, eager to share it with you. Does that describe you? third group are called visionaries. They want to bring the kingdom of God. So as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. And, and may my actions and the, and the work of my hands bring the kingdom of God closer. And if they haven't been challenged in music and sermon, if you haven't given them three ways that they can go out and, and bring the kingdom of heaven closer, then they haven't worshipped. They may not be concerned about verbal prayer at all. In fact, they might say, you know, work is my prayer. My life is my prayer. And many younger people, millennials, fall into this group. Does this describe you? The final group, you might call them mystics. They desire a, a time of contemplation and introspection, reverence. That word reverence kept coming up in some of your surveys. The way to connect with God is in stillness. One woman, uh, one person of the church, she said, she said uh, I, just, I just connect with God as I sit before him in stillness. Be still and know I am God. And the idea of energy and passion and enthusiasm and noise, well, those are completely antithetical to their idea of worship. Because prayer should be done in stillness before God. Does this describe you? The more we compiled those surveys on that Monday night, I thought, how in the world can we move forward? 
I think Corrine Ware would answer, why are you surprised by this diversity? I think more importantly, the, the Apostle Paul would say the same thing. Diversity is God's plan for you. Why are you upset about it? Why are you anxious about it? Do you remember? For even as the body is one and yet has many members... And all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Listen, God did not make you look all exactly the same, did he? He could have. He makes twins. He makes identical triplets, you know. He could have made you look all exactly the same. How boring would that have been? How about this? If he made the choir all tenors. I love tenors. Tenors soar, don't they? I asked Kenny, I said, Kenny, would you think, do you think it would be a good idea as an illustration? Could we, could we just have the choir just sing one note, you know, just, not, not, just one note over and over again, quarter notes, all just sing one song, just da, da, da. And, and he did not think it was a good idea. He did not even reply to that. Why is the choir beautiful? Because it is many different voices coming together in unity. It's like a flower garden with great diversity of color and everything. I love red roses. I would cover the world, I think, with red roses. But, you know, sometimes a tulip in there is nice. Sometimes diversity is beautiful. We're not all the same color. He did not make us all spiritually the same. He did not give us all the same gifts. It is a planned interdependence. In the same way we are not all created, it does not feel exactly right. There's not just one way to worship, but this is a great choir of worship that is designed to come together in unity of the Spirit, intent on one purpose, to glorify God, to praise Him. And in the process, we learn and we grow into each other. Did you notice, by the way, in my slides up here, that not only were there strengths, but there were potential dangers in each one? Did you catch that? If your worship style is just stubbornly intellectual, that's where you stay. That's your piece of the pie. That's your comfort zone. There's a great danger of becoming dry and not really contributing to the kingdom. I just want to go to Bible study. Year after year, I just want to go to Bible study. That's where I experience God. If we're stubbornly emotional, if it's all about the heart, then it can become a show. It can become uh, all about feelings with no theological underpinning. And if we're all about transforming society, then we're going to get tunnel vision. It becomes about the task. I remember one time I was in, in Concord and I was in my first church. I was thinking, we drove by that church yesterday, and uh, I, I was just thinking about that church, and I was working so hard in that church, and I was working, and I was driving, and I was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was all about transforming society, and I was out doing it, and, and, and I was sitting at this stoplight, and I was kind of out in the middle of the country, and I just stopped there for a minute, and I just feel so distant from God. And I prayed, Lord, I said, I've been all about your business. I've been telling people about you. Why do you seem so distant from me? And the Spirit spoke to my spirit in a heartbeat and said, quit talking about me and start talking to me. If we just stick with our little piece of the pie, then 
not going to experience him in other ways. If we're stubbornly emotional, we're going to stay there. We're going to stagnate. If we're all about transforming society, it's going to be the same. If, if we are mystic in our worship, if we just want to be still before God, then there's a pretty good chance that we're going to stay behind the stained glass walls of the church, that we're not going to go out in the, in, into the streets. We're not going to be about performing, fulfilling the Great Commission. Please, please just listen to me. Because I think this is so important to where we are as a church right now. If any person stays firmly rooted in their one quadrant, if, if we judge that that one quadrant is the right quadrant, if we tend to look down on other people in the way that they worship, there will be no growth or transformation in our individual lives. Why, why would there be? If you are simply experiencing God in that one narrow way, year after year after year, you can become stagnant. But growth occurs as we dip our toes into those other quadrants, into those other areas where we discover new characteristics of God, new ways of worshiping, become fresh, we grow. When I was a young Christian, Sandy and I would go to church week after week, you know, and I would just endure the music. I would just endure it. For me, it was all about bring on the preacher. Get on with the message. I want to hear the word of God proclaimed. Sandy was just the opposite. She would tolerate the preacher because it was all about the music. That's where she could worship God. But now, decades later, Sandy's teaching Bible study in-depth, difficult Bible studies. And me, there's never been a Sunday in this church where the choir, where the music has not blessed me. There's never been a time when Rich got up to do a meditation when I did not encounter the Holy Spirit. Question nine from our survey read this. Are there some things you feel are missing in your worship and music ministry? If so, what and why? One person responded, our services are out of touch with today. You see, that, that sounds like a millennial. That sounds like a, a young person, a visionary. One person responded, just more scripture reading. And I had to smile about that, you know. I felt like responding, you remember this is a music survey, right? But, 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 this is that person. He's an intellectual. He just says, or he, she just says, it's all about the scripture. I just want, just make sure that you're preaching 30 minutes. And one person responded, worst service I've heard. I did not worship at all. It sounds like a mystic. Why? Because a mystic needed quiet and order and reverence. And one person was the most uplifting service we've had. Sounds like someone who's all heart, passion, excitement, and energy. And do you begin to see, listen, do you begin to see why I asked you to hold off from judging which side was right and which side was wrong? Who's right? Who, who's wrong? Can we begin to, to see that it really isn't a good question? Can, can you begin to see that these are two good, lifelong Christians who attended the, the worship service but experienced something completely different? Can we remember that there's something not to be hateful about that, but, but something to be, it's glorious that we're brought together, many parts, one body. Who's right? 
1 Corinthians 4.20. It says, for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. You know, there's, there's a worship in action. That's a kingdom bringer. That's a visionary. Nehemiah 8.9 says, then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Listen, Ezra stood before the people. There was no music. There was no preaching. All he did was he got up, and he opened the scriptures, and he read them, and the people were so touched were so profoundly moved that they wept and cried just by the reading of his word. Zephaniah 1.7, be silent before the Lord God. Be still. Just as Jesus sometimes withdrew to be quiet, to commune with his father. In 2 Samuel 6.14, see this touches my heart because this is where I am. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might and David was wearing an effort. He was so excited. He wanted to just celebrate the goodness of God, the victory of God. And so he, he danced before God. David was passionate, emotional, full of energy. And yet we remember also that he is described as a man after God's own heart. So who is right? Whichever one you are, who is wrong? And we begin to see that we are all part of the body of Christ with our unique gifts, each with our individual strengths and our potential dangerous weaknesses. Can we begin to see that God, God has placed us because he is sovereign, he is Lord, that he has placed us each one together, that this is his plan, that as you are strong in one area and I'm kind of weak, that I can move, I can move into that shadow area, that new area, that I can begin to worship God more fully, more completely. Listen, if you have a problem with diversity, someone said this to me this week, if you have a problem with diversity, you're going to have a real problem when we get to heaven. Can we begin to see that God has placed together to help us stretch and grow so that we might become an amazing choir of worship? A beautiful, colorful, garden of exploding color. And so the important question of the day for me is, what will we do with this? I think one thing we can do is we can, we can refuse to see the value of others, the way that they worship, and we can just dig in. Just dig into our particular quadrant. We could just stay where we are, and the devil will rejoice as the division keeps us from doing the work of the church. We can continue to fuss and say, my way is the right way. But you see, none of us are in the business of making the devil happy. And if you want to be angry about something, then let us be angry because the baptismal is not flowing every Sunday. Let us be angry with one another because we're not out on the streets sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to be angry about something, there it is. But not about the God-planned diversity within the body of Christ. He has given us one another. What do we do with this? 
Some of you said that the only thing that they can, you can come up with is to just say, we need to go to two worship services. I guarantee you from personal experience that none of us will be happy about it. But more important than my personal experience is this. The scriptures say that we are to be one body in Christ. What do we do with this? We can use the democratic process, right? That sounds good. We're democratic. Whoever has the most votes wins and decides the future. Except this isn't a democracy. This is a theocracy, and Jesus is the head of the church, and every member of this body is precious and needful. As Paul says, we have experienced this. If one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, then all members rejoice with it. What do we do with this? We could see that God has placed each one of us here together, each one of us with our gifts and our strengths so that we might fit together and fulfill his calling. We can do our very best to create a place of worship where all can come together and worship and feel the presence of God. We can do the shockingly different and rare thing so that God can know and the people can know that he can send us people and we will Love them, accept them where they are, and help them grow. We can come together and change our vision from simply meeting our own needs, but caring for the lost and bring many people into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. In short, we can celebrate our differences, our diversity in great unity and in power. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, we need you so. I pray that your spirit would do something that I cannot do, but breathe through these words, your words, so that each one might know your will I pray, Father, that we would humble ourselves. Your word said, as we sang, I surrender all. And I just thought about that little word, all. I surrender all. Even my preferences for your glory and your kingdom. And yes, Lord, we find this hard. Help us to move forward in unity and in power. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.